been around Hope for a while, you know I absolutely love Christmas. Nothing is cooler than Christmas. And, and nothing really says Christmas like a Christmas tree. I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure you can have Christmas without Christmas trees. I don't know if you know it or not, but during the Christmas holiday season in America, uh, there will be 35 million real Christmas trees sold, about another 18 million artificial Christmas trees. And although the tree is the focal point of our holiday decor, I'm not sure we truly understand the significance of the Christmas tree. For the most part, we, you know, we select them, we buy them, we take them home, we decorate them, we put presents under them. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to drag that tree out to the curb or maybe put it back in storage, and that tree won't even cross our mind again until next year. But for a few minutes just this weekend, because I want us to slow down as we think about just how crazy Christmas is, I want us to think about the particulars of a Christmas tree, because there are actually some aspects of that tree that can change your life. And I'll, I say that because of this. So many of us, we rush through Christmas every year. For some of you, it's, it's one of the two times during the year you come to church, you know, you're the, you're the lily poinsettia crowd, you come at Easter, you come on Christmas, and, and we go through the holiday, and it's all over, said and done, the Christmas tree is put away, and once again, we miss the message, we miss the meaning of Christmas, but I want you to understand uh, that everything you need to know about Christmas, in fact, everything you need to know about the foundation of Christianity, you can actually learn from a Christmas tree. It is right under your nose, sitting in your living room. For example, take the tree itself. I don't know how much you know about the Christmas tree, but it has a pretty interesting history. For example, the Christmas tree originated in Germany in the 8th century. They didn't call it a Christmas tree. It was actually called a Christ tree. And an evergreen was chosen because it represents life. And, 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 on, and when this tradition began, on the day before Christmas in 8th century Germany, women and men would get together and they would put on stories depicting the drama of Adam and Eve. And they would take the Christmas tree, the Christ tree, and they would hang apples all over the tree. And, of course, the apples represented the forbidden fruit, right? I, I doubt it was an apple. I am pretty sure it was Brussels sprouts. I can't prove that, right? But they would hang apples all over the tree, and they would make a big deal over Eve eating the forbidden fruit. In fact, uh, the primary colors of Christmas are green and red. They actually go back to this tradition, green being the tree, red being the apples. All of this is free, right? But wrapped up in the Christmas tree is the true story, the true message of Christmas. Think about it this way. When you get a Christmas tree, you bring it home, you put it up. What's the first thing you do? The first thing you do is you put lights on it. Now, if you've been around Hope for a while, you know I'm really into lights. I mean, I kind of go overboard. In fact, here's the picture of my house. And if you drive down my street, I have 32 deer and numerous things going on in my yard. And uh, you can actually hear the electrical meter just going, rrr, rrr, rrr. and Laura, I get the grief every January when Laura gets our electric bill. And, and I'd like to think that, that, you know, that was original with me, but I think I perfected it. But it's not original with me. This idea of Christmas lights actually goes back about 500 years. In fact, it goes back to the great theologian Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, the civil rights activist. This was the theologian Martin Luther. And one night he was walking, he was praying, he was meditating. And as he looked up through the trees, he noticed shining through the trees the backdrop of all the stars. And he thought how beautiful it was. And he began to think, wouldn't it be incredible if I could somehow replicate that same effect in our home for the family? So he went home, he got some candles, I don't recommend this, but he got some candles and he put them on the tree so the children could experience the beauty of, of, of the appearance of the stars shining through their Christmas tree. So 500 years ago, Martin Luther is credited for being the first person to put lights on a tree. And in the same way, just as Luther wanted to show his children the beauty of the lights coming through the trees, you got to understand that first Christmas, our Heavenly Father wanted to show us the beauty and the power of his light. John talked about the significance of light in John chapter 1, verse 14. This is what he said. 
The word, and that's, that's one of John's favorite terms for Jesus. The word, or Jesus, became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Now, just so you know, that's a reference to the incarnation. It's a theological term, but it simply means this, God with flesh. That's the incarnation. God took on flesh and he came to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ and he dwelt among us. John also says in verse 4 of chapter 1, the word, again reference to Jesus, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought life to everyone. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. In other words, John is saying that no matter how much darkness there is in this world, and let's be honest, there's a lot of darkness in this world. In fact, every Christmas, the world seems to get a little bit darker. No matter how much darkness there is in this world, no matter how much darkness there is in your life, it can never extinguish, overwhelm, overpower, overtake the light of Jesus Christ. I mean, you may be here this weekend, and, and maybe you don't come regularly, but someone invited you. You're hoping to get maybe a free lunch out of it or something, and, and you're sitting there. What you're thinking right now is, yeah, but Mike, you don't know my life. You don't know my background. You don't know my history, just how dark it is. This is what I would say to you. It doesn't matter. There's no way there can be so much darkness in your life that it can overpower, overwhelm the light of Jesus Christ. See, that's why we feel very comfortable around here with our mission statement, love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we don't care where you are, we don't care where you've been, we know that whatever's going on in your life cannot extinguish or overwhelm the light of Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus came to this earth and he went public with his ministry, he followed up this thought with some words of his own, John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, notice this, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What was Jesus saying? Well, there are a couple of characteristics of light that are worth pointing out. First of all, we know that light penetrates. It penetrates darkness. If you've ever been in a situation, maybe you were walking into a house for someone, or you're going into a hotel room or a dark place, or maybe in an office, and, you, and it's pitch black, and you're not sure where the light switch is, and, and finally you find the switch and you flip it on, and there's such relief when the light comes on and penetrates the darkness. It's the same way with the light of Jesus Christ. I mean, I talk to a lot of people every week. I meet a lot of people every week, and, and I talk to them, and on the surface, it surface, it seems like they have it all together. But then as you continue the conversation, as I get to know them a little bit better, as I peel back some of the layers of their life, what I realize is that the light of Jesus Christ has never really penetrated their world. And what I usually discover is that they're constantly searching for light. They're searching for something, something that's going to make the light come on, that fulfillment, that sense of peace. Many times they think, hey, the next relationship will do it, or the next acquisition will do it, or the next fun fix, that will do it, or maybe the next toy, or the next trip, that's what will give me light. That's what will bring that aha moment. It will all come together. Maybe it's the next bit of technology. I discovered that this week, and as I was looking at some watches, I noticed there was this watch, and it had, it had two faces on it, dual faces. And I just assumed that you could set one for the time where you lived, and maybe if you traveled a lot, you know, you needed a watch like this for you, you could set it for the time zone that you, you'd landed in, right? Well, the sales lady let me know that's not the case at all. This was a special watch. In fact, she said this watch had, uh, let me, natural frequency technology. I don't know, what does that mean? <laughs> she said, well, the makers of this watch realize there's lots of energy in the universe, energy all around us, energy in ourselves. And this watch can sync up your energy with the energy of the universe. I'm like, oh. 
How about that? And she says, that's why it has two faces. The makers of this watch realize one movement will not do it, but two movements syncing up together will get your energy going in the right direction. And she turned it over, and there were two little sensors. And she says, when you wear this, it will sync up your energy. And she said, do you have migraines? I said, you won't get any more migraines. You'll sleep better. You'll have a better sex life. You'll make straight A's in school. I mean, this watch can solve everything. And I'm like, intrigued. And I'm like, so what's the science behind this? This is exactly what she said. I can't tell you. <laughs> she said, it is so incredible that if we went public with the science, we would have to patent it. So we can't tell you the science behind it. I said, by now my ear, I'm like smiling from here to here. And I finally said, I'm not laughing at you. I'm just smiling. I'm just smiling. And I said, so if you can't tell me the science, how do I know it works? God is my witness. This was her response. Oprah has one. Wow! Bam! Yeah. She said it's on the list of her favorite things. And I'm like, there you go. Give me seven. You know, I'm ready to go. Let me, let me ask, and these are expensive watches. Let me ask you, why would people do that? Why would people buy a dual face watch to seek up their energy with the energy of the universe? Two reasons. One, people are stupid and they just have more money than they have since. That would be one. Second, we live in a world where people are constantly looking for something to fill up the void and the emptiness in their life, to make the light come on, to have that aha moment. But regardless of what they do, the light's not there. It doesn't come on. They go to bed every night, and there's still emptiness, and there's confusion, and there's darkness. I'm telling you, there is only one light that can penetrate all the darkness of life, and it is the life-changing light of Jesus Christ. It penetrates. But second... It also guides. Jesus says, if you have my light, you'll never walk in darkness. It's going to guide you. A few years ago, many years ago now, when I was a teenager, I grew up in Durham, and some of my friends, we decided to go out to Lake Mickey and camp out on a Friday night. And we got there late in the afternoon, and we set up our campsite, and we went fishing, and we were moving around the lake, and we were getting farther and farther from the campsite. And we lost track of time. And before you know it, we realized it's dark, and we're not going to get back unless, until it's pitch black. And, I mean, it's cloudy. There's no moon. There's no stars. And so we start walking back, and we're walking along the path that's following the lake, and I'm barefooted, and I step, and I realize I just stepped on a big old fat snake. I mean, you could feel just that cold, slithery, and it slithered right out from under my foot. It went into the water. It is pitch black. You can't see a thing. I'm telling you, every other step was like this. You know what I'm talking about? Finally, Jim, a friend of mine, realized that in his tackle box, he had a little keychain. It had a really, like a miniature flashlight on it. But with that light, he was able to penetrate the darkness and get in the front and guide us back to the campsite. I always think of that illustration because in, in the same way, many of you, let's just be honest. You're walking around through life and you're just surrounded by darkness. You're stumbling from place to place. You have no direction. Yeah, you may make it a little while on your own with your high-tech watch, but I'm going to tell you, you're not going to know where you're going. What you need to understand this Christmas is you need the penetrating, guiding power of the light of Jesus Christ in your life. So this is what I would just challenge you to do. When you go home today, look at the light of your tree, on your tree, and I, I just want you to ask yourself a question, and just be honest. I mean, this is really just between you and God. Here's the question. Am I living in darkness or have I really plugged into the light of Jesus Christ? Not do I go to church, not do I read my Bible, not am I trying really hard to be a good person, am I living in darkness, or have I really plugged into the light of Jesus Christ? I'm telling you, it's a huge question.
Because without the light, you're just going to continue to stumble through life on a path of uncertainty. You're not going to be able to make out the direction. You're not going to be able to make out the path that God has designed specifically for you. So look at the tree. Notice the lights. Do you have the light of Jesus Christ? You know, the second thing you notice about a tree are the decorations. The tree's kind of sad without decorations. I, I discovered that this Christmas. You know, with Thanksgiving coming so late, I tried to convince Laura we should probably put the Christmas tree up around November 1st. And uh, she said, well, that's not going to happen. You cannot put a Christmas tree up to after Thanksgiving. I said, well, how about the 15th of November? No, honey, you don't understand. You cannot put a Christmas tree up till after Thanksgiving. So one day while she was gone, I proved to her you actually could put a Christmas tree up <laughs> before Thanksgiving. And I plugged it in, the lights are on. She walked in, I said, look, honey, it's up. It's not a federal law. You can do this. She refused to decorate it, so it sat there for like two weeks with just lights on, no decorations. Every time I walk in, just a little tear just streamed right down the side of my face, right? But there's something about decorating the tree because when we put the decorations on, it adds a little bit of our personality to the tree. That's why we hang things like family pictures or, or maybe we have a special sports team and we'll have an ornament, you know, that represents that team. Or maybe it's a special date. I mean, lights are one thing. But when you get right down to it, it's the ornaments and the decorations that make each of our trees unique. Well, understand in the very same way, once we have the light of Jesus Christ in our lives, God begins to decorate our lives with some incredible ornaments. And as he begins to decorate our lives with these ornaments, there's a transformation that begins to take place in our lives. Paul talks about this transformation over in Colossians chapter 3, what it looks like. He begins by saying in verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And then if you drop down to verse 5, he says this, put to death, therefore, or get rid of, or take off, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, this is your nature before Christ. These are, and then he gives us a list of things to kind of, that need to, to get out of our lives. He says, things like sexual immorality, get rid of that. Impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is really idolatry. Verse 8, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self. You've gotten rid of the old self with its practices. In other words, Paul says, these are the kind of ornaments that adorned your life before you became a follower of Jesus Christ. These were the things that characterized your life. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, anger, rage, slander, filthy language. But then he gives us a list of the kind of ornaments that should begin to decorate our lives after we become followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, put on a heart of compassion. How about kindness? The Greek word there is actually a word, it's a form of generosity. Humility, that would be the opposite of pride. Patience, it's the ability to stick with. In other words, you just will not give up on people. But he's not finished yet. He says in verse 13 that we're to bear with each other and forgive. He's, you, know, not, you can't always love. He says at least you got to put up with each other, right? Bear with each other and forgive what are the grievances you may have against one another. And it's almost like if you don't know what that looks like, he says, let me give you an example. Forgive, look what it says. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Remember what it was like when you came to God with all of your sin, all of your darkness, and you asked forgiveness. Paul says, how did he forgive you? Well, he forgave you totally, and he forgave you unconditionally. And he forgave you of all of your past sins, and he forgave you of all your sins that you're going to commit. How do I know that he, commit, that he forgave you for all your future sins? Because Jesus isn't going to die again. They're forgiven. He wiped the slate clean. 
Paul says, these are the things that you should put on. These are the kind of ornaments after you begin to follow Christ that should be hanging from your life. These should characterize your life. And it's interesting, I look at this list, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and I think, man, <laughs> I'm actually doing pretty good with this list. As long as I'm all by myself. <laughs> I mean, if I'm all by myself at home and I'm watching TV, I'm gentle. There's no struggle for control. I can weep during a cheesy Hallmark Christmas movie and I can actually convince myself, man, I must be kind and compassionate. I must have a tender heart. And since Laura's not home trying to get me to watch HGTV, I don't really have a patience problem, right? I can do any of these things on this list as long as it's just me. I'm going to be honest with you because she's not here. When Laura comes home, that's when the problems start. <laughs> I wish you'd pray for her, you know? Because now there's two of us, and all of a sudden this list is much, much harder to obey. And you got to understand, that's why relationships play such a huge role in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. That's why one of our goals here for every Christian is to connect intentionally in fellowship, in community with other people. Understand, the real test of the ornaments that hang from our tree, they're not measured by how we get along with ourselves. Rarely do I have a conflict when it's just me. It's measured by how I live out these things with the people in my life. And understand, that's why Paul concludes in verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love. Now let me just ask you, can you imagine how our lives, how our relationships, how they would change, what they would look like if these were the ornaments that decorated the trees of our life? Instead of anger and strife and revenge and bitterness and indifference, what if our lives were decorated with love and kindness and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Do you think our relationships would be different? Do you think our marriages would be different? So I would just challenge you, as you go home and you look at that tree in your house, ask yourself, wow, what kind of ornaments do decorate my life? What do people see when they, they look at me? What does my character look like to people? And I'll give you the litmus test especially as we're going into the holidays, over the next few days, you're going to be forced to be in the room with people you don't want to be with. They're called family, right? <laughs> and some of them are going to be sitting at the table eating with you. And you know what? You're dreading it, aren't you? Because you know there are people in your life, and in the past, they've hurt you, they've offended you, maybe they deserted you, deceived you, maybe they abandoned you, Right? Forget forgiveness, you want revenge, right? You want that pound of flesh. So here's the question I would ask you going into the holidays. Who in your life needs to be shown not revenge, not justice? Who needs to be shown mercy? Hmm. A couple of verses that will help you get through the holidays. Jesus is speaking. He's teaching. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. He gets to the part in chapter 5 about the Beatitudes. And Jesus says this in Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's, it's this promise almost like a recycling. It's, it's as if Jesus says, as you extend mercy, mercy will be extended to you. It just keeps recycling. But probably my favorite is James 2.13. It says this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Justice doesn't triumph over judgment. Revenge doesn't triumph over judgment. Mercy. What kind of ornaments decorate your life? 
So we got lights, we got ornaments. How about the star on the top of the tree? Why is that significant? Well, you know the story. Wise men, uh, Matthew chapter 2 tells us, you know, the wise men, they were looking up at the stars at the sky one day, and they see this star. I mean, this is what these guys did. They've never seen this star, and, and, and eventually we know it's a star that pointed them to Jesus. Well, it's interesting if you read the Gospels, it doesn't say that the wise men were the only ones who saw the star. They were just the only ones who were wise enough to actually follow the star. I guess that's why they're the wise men, right? And they kept following the star until it brought them to Christ. As Jason said last week, these guys really were the original seekers. They didn't have any preconceived notions. They hadn't studied the prophets. They hadn't read the Old Testament. Their minds were just open, and they sought the truth. And I just want to reassure you, just like these guys, if you're truly seeking the truth with an open mind, God will reveal himself to you. How did he reveal himself to the wise man? Well, look what it says, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. By the way, just so you know, the wise men did not show up at the manger. This was about a two-year journey for them, talking about persistently seeking the truth, right? But what happened is God sent a travel guide for these wise men in the form of a star to point them to Jesus. And I just want to let you know, in the same way, if you're really, really seeking, God will put an earthbound guide in your life to point you to Christ. It may be the person who invited you here this weekend. It could be your spouse. It could be your parent. It could be your coworker. It could be a neighbor. It could be a fellow student. But I'm telling you, God will make sure that if you have an open mind, You'll have an earthbound star that will point you to him. And I don't want to say a whole lot about this. I'll say more next week. But let me just encourage you, during the next few days, why don't you just, as you're going through the whole Christmas story, you're going to parties where you're singing, you're singing songs about the Savior who came to the world. Why don't you take a few days and just see if you can discover what the message is all about? This is what you'll learn. You'll learn it's not about religion. It's not about rules. It's not about ritual. It's about Jesus coming, living, dying on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled back to God and be restored into a relationship with him. That's really what it's about. You say, well, Mike, I've studied it. Man, I, I just don't get it. There's so many things I don't understand. I understand that. That's true in my life as well. I grew up in church. I went to church every Sunday. I went to seminary. I'm a professional, right? There are still a lot of things, and this is probably very reassuring to you, but there are a lot of things in God's word I don't understand. But that doesn't mean that I don't benefit from it. I'll I, I tell you what, you ever seen one of these? This is the greatest miracle of Christmas since the Virgin Mary gave birth to the Savior of the world. I mean, this is incredible. Somebody gave me this last year. This will fix your Christmas lights. I attest by this. You ever had a string of Christmas lights where half the lights go out and half the lights are still working? What do you do? You throw them away. Or, you know, I got 32 deer I put in my yard. You know, every once in a while I put them up and two of the legs are out. I have to put them down, bam, you know, and put them away. Get it, you know. <laughs> Not anymore. You know what you do? You plug them in. You pull out one of the bulbs that's not working. You stick that little, you stick it in there and you go. And the light comes on. I cannot explain it. It is a miracle. There's not one neighbor in my neighborhood who has a light out. I just go around every house because I'm having so much fun, right? I have no idea how this works. But that doesn't keep me from benefiting from it. By the way, I preached my heart out last night. You know what my biggest question was? Where did you get that thing? Where did you get that gun? Let me just say, just because you don't understand every little aspect of God's word, 
doesn't mean you can't benefit from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where faith comes in. But let me just say this. Unlike many wise men, the reality is that most people who say they, I don't believe it, you, you've never really checked it out. You've never really investigated it. So I would encourage you this week, engage your earthbound star in a conversation, you know. Ask them about the claims of Christ. They would love to have that conversation with you. If you're not there yet, at least get a Bible. We'll be glad to give you one. And just go to the Gospels, the beginning of the New Testament. Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the message, the story of Jesus Christ. Read the Gospel. This just may be the Christmas where the light comes on. And it all begins to make sense. One last thing. The other thing you notice about a Christmas tree is it always has presents under it, right? And there's a couple of reasons we love to see presents under the tree. First of all, we love to get presents, right? And I've been spoiled because Laura is like the best present giver in the history of the world. I mean, the, the thought and the creativity. I'll never forget a few years ago, our garage door was out, and we didn't have a lot of money, so the garage door opener stayed out for a couple of years. And finally, one Christmas morning, I open up this little box, and there's a garage door opener, but I can tell it's not new, Right? And, and I said, what is this? And she said, push it. And so I pushed it, and I could hear the garage door. I said, how in the world did you install a new garage door opener, have it installed without me even knowing about it? And she said, I didn't. I got the ladder. I crawled up. I opened it out. I took out the motherboard, ordered a new motherboard, and reinstalled it. And I'm sitting there thinking, that is the sexiest thing I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> you know? She's always coming up with gifts like that, so I love to get presents. But the second reason we like to see presents under the tree, we love to give presents. I mean, there's just something about Christmas morning. It's the highlight for me after you've, you, you've, you've thought about it and you've researched it and you've, and, you, and you've looked for it and you've saved and you've sacrificed and you finally buy that gift. And you just look into the face of the person. You can't wait to see what the reaction is going to be when they open the gift. By the way, do you realize that human beings are the only ones who have the desire to give and receive presents? Animals don't give presents. Never seen your dog and cat. I guarantee you draw names, right? You don't see them wrap presents. They'll leave you a present. They don't wrap them up. I think you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> and the reason is, as humans, we're the only ones who were made in the image of God. And we were made in the image of God who is really into giving. So it's just in our DNA. We were created to be givers by nature. Let me give you four quick guidelines for giving gifts this year. Here's the first one. Make sure it's a gift that lasts. If you're going to give a gift, give a gift that lasts. Have you ever opened a Christmas gift and you looked at it and your first thought was, wow, this will be at next year's white elephant party. You ever had that gift? Sure you have, right? Don't give a gift like that. Give a gift. Give a gift. This can be enjoyed for years to come. Here's the second. Make sure the gift encourages the recipient. Guys, don't give your wife a scale. That's not ever going to work out well, okay? Third. Make sure the gift expresses your personality, something about the relationship. This happened with my family uh, a few years ago. My mom, uh, for years, and she was 75, every year we'd ask my mom, Mom, what do you want for Christmas? And she'd say, I'd like some underwear. I'm like, Mom, that's just sick. We're not going to give you underwear. Well, how about a slip? That's even sicker. So, you know, so I, you know we, we all decided when my mom and dad were around, all of us, we're going to buy mom thongs for Christmas. She's 75 years old. So Christmas morning, oh, every gift she opened, leopard thongs, zebra thongs, thongs with flowers, thongs with feathers, thongs with bells. I mean, it was, it was thongs, 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 thongs all over the place. And, and we're shooting them like rubber bands around the living room. I mean, we were having the time of our life. And some of you are thinking, brother, I don't believe I'd have told that, right? But anyway, we were. We were. And you know, it's been 10 years and we still talk about that. Remember the Christmas we gave mom all the thongs, right? It cured her. She hasn't asked for underwear since, see? 
Fourth, and this is probably good, make sure the gift meets the need of the recipient. By the way, do you know that's the kind of gift that God gave us the first, the first century? John 3, 16, what, for God so loved the world he gave. It's as if God strolled down the staircase of heaven with a baby in his arms and said, let me present to you the Savior of the world. When Paul, the brightest mind of the first century, wrote about it, this is what he said in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You ever received an indescribable gift? My kids gave me this picture just recently, and when I saw it, I thought, oh, that is absolutely priceless. That's the kind of gift God gave us the first Christmas. It was a gift that will last. It was a gift that encourages. It was a gift that reflects the heart and the personality of the giver, and it was a gift that meets our needs. See, God knew if we'd have needed a know-it-all, he'd have given us Oprah, right? <laughs> If we would have needed technology, he would have given us Steve Jobs. If we would have needed money, he would have given us Warren Buffett. If we would have needed entertainment, he would have given us maybe Bruno Mars. But he knew we needed forgiveness, and so he gave us a Savior. Indescribable, priceless. I chose to talk about a Christmas tree this weekend because, you know, when you look at the life of Jesus, the Savior of the world, you cannot separate his life from the tree. Think about it. He was born in a manger. He spent his life working as a carpenter with wood. Ultimately, he died on a cross of wood for our sin. That's why Peter said this, 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He took the price for us. Everywhere you look over the next few days, you're gonna see Christmas trees, Christ trees, right? And I would just encourage you, when you see the tree, think of a cross and ask yourself, hmm, what have I done with the tree? It's sort of ironic. During the holidays, we take the tree from the outside and we put it on the inside. And I think that's what God wants us to do with this gift he's given us. In our darkness, as, as we respond and follow the star, it points us to the Christ tree. It points us to the cross. And hopefully we get to the point where we move the cross, the tree from the outside to the inside. And when we move the cross from the outside to the inside, and what I mean by that is when we finally acknowledge who Jesus Christ is, the Son of God who came to die on the cross because he was the only one qualified to die for our sins, to be the ultimate sacrifice so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled back to God, our debt paid in full, so that we could have a relationship with God. At the moment we accept that into our lives, move the cross to the inside, the lights come on, and we receive the ultimate gift of salvation. I got to tell you, it is a gift that turns uncertainty to certainty. It's a gift that turns a lack of fulfillment into fulfillment and purpose. It turns death to life. So what have you done with the tree? What have you done with the cross of Jesus Christ? That's the message of Christmas. The manger's beautiful. Who doesn't like little baby Jesus? He's not threatening. But understand, 33 years of a journey, every step Jesus took, he knew he was one step closer to the ultimate reason that he came, and that was for us. But you gotta decide what you wanna do with him. It'll change everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that, as it says in Romans chapter five, verse eight, while we were still sinners, you loved us so much that he died for us. 
you gave us your only begotten son. To us, a child was born. But Father, from your perspective, a son was given. May we remember this holiday season that that's what changes our lives. Not that he was born, but a son was given to die. I pray right now for people who are here that have never investigated it, think it's some kind of fictional hoax, that God, somehow in, in their life, you would bring them across an earthbound star that could help them into that journey, into a relationship with you. Or maybe just through reading the scriptures, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would just make it explode in their mind. And they would finally realize, oh, I get it. I get it. And I pray the light will come on. And then transform our lives into the people that you created us to be. Not angry and, and, and bitter and full of malice, but love and generosity and gentleness and forgiveness. People of mercy. May that be our gift back to you. In your name we pray.